0: okay well uh, unless you have been in a coma for the past year you've probably noticed that we're in a recession everybody up to speed with that fact we're all on the page there I was thinking back to about this time last year when we were heading into 2008 and thinking of how good it felt you know we were just cruising into a new year things were humming Uh, I'm sure there were plenty of people that were predicting what was coming but you know life was feeling pretty good And, uh, you know, we thought Credit Crunch was a type of chocolate bar. And we thought Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae were funny names for old people. We were just, we knew our stuff and and, and we were were on the ball. And then, amazing how much things can change in a year, isn't it? In the course of a year, all of a sudden, there's a whole new language that's entered our vocabulary. Uh, Words like, uh, phrases like subprime mortgage crisis and negative GDP growth and stagflation and all this stuff that most of us have no idea what's going on. Uh, but we are indeed in some of the, the worst economic times, at least in the past couple of decades, if not, many people are saying much, uh, in a much longer period of time. And increasing numbers, numbers of people, and we're noticing it here at shore, increasing numbers of people are experiencing this recession not just as figures and, and stats and negative GDP and stuff, but as personal experiences, uh, experiencing it through the loss of jobs, experiencing it through having to lay off staff, through contract work drying up, commissions going down, through uh, employment getting shaky and potentially having to look for other work in a little while. More and more of these stories are coming out of the woodwork, and people, it's becoming real close to home for a lot of people. A lot of Kiwis are struggling, And uh, the last thing I want to do is regale you with all these gloom and doom stories about how bad it's going to get and woe is me and I'm not going to be the prophet of doom this morning. You can go plenty of places and read that if you want to. But that's not us. What what I think we need to do and and what we want to do simply this morning is try and look at this thing from a biblical perspective and ask ourselves, what would a Christian response to this economic situation look like? Because it's important that those of us who are Christ followers are culturally engaged with our faith. Our faith isn't something that should should insulate us from culture. It's not a bunker that you stick your head in during these times and just have a little spiritual compartment of your life. It's something that should propel us forward. It's something that should lead us to put on a biblical lens and, and look at the issues, the real problems faced in the real world and ask what they look like through the lens of Scripture, Empowered by the spirit dialogue in the community of faith. How do we understand this? What does it mean to be a Christian at a time like this? What does it mean in general to be a Christian participant in the economy? And So what I want to do simply this morning is give you four things, four lessons I think uh, we can all learn, me included, from this recession and I'll tell you straight up that I'm not an economist. I took one year of economics in school, one year, and it wasn't a good year and so I'm, i haven't even risen to the level of amateur with this stuff okay so do not look to me for economic answers and analysis there are other people in our church far more qualified to give you that uh all i can uh do in this time is seek to bring the gospel to the culture and translate as best we can and, and i think that's all that that we can do in our in our faith is ask ourselves how does what does a christian worldview have to say to this kind of situation so that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a shot at it. You ready? Sound okay to you? You're a bit non-responsive this morning. We're just getting back into it for the year, aren't we? Do you need to stretch? Do you need to stand up? Are you happy? All right, let's go. Number one, first lesson. The recession highlights the problem of human greed. Now I know immediately uh, people object to this, and there's no simplistic explanation. There is no easy answer. It's not as simple as saying greed is the whole problem and if people were just a bit less greedy we'd all be okay. I know there is a whole range of things that have converged and people debate over exactly what emphasis should be given to what. Some of these factors are economic, some of these things aren't economic. I don't want to propose simplistic explanations. But nevertheless, I think it is true that when you look at a bit of the story of how we've got to where we are, human greed. Is at least a contributing factor Now, it doesn't mean that the economy in and of itself is bad sometimes Christians say that sometimes people hear Christians saying that stuff that we should be anti-capitalist we should be anti- business anti-profit anti-corporate I don't think we need to be any of those things the economy in and of itself is not bad the economy is simply built on the transfer of goods and services from one person to another all these vast economic systems that grow up around the place it's just built on this premise of Individuals and groups of individuals giving services and goods to others in the hope of some future gain. That's what the economy is. In and of itself, that's fine. The problem comes when greed rears its ugly head, when people exploit one another, when people lie to one another, when people trample over one another in order to get ahead, when people seek selfish gain with no regard whatsoever for the good of those around them. That is the face of greed. And so when consumers like you and I go on a massive spending spree as we have done really over the last half century since the rise of consumerism and when we spend and we spend and we spend and we max out our credit cards and we buy things that we don't really need with money we don't really have just to try and pursue a respectable lifestyle, that can very easily be greed. When real estate valuers Wildly inflate the value of homes just to keep on being hired by banks. That's greed. When corporates and investment firms take irrational risks just to maximize a short term profit with no regard for the future long term sustainability of their businesses. That's greed. When corporate executives on Wall Street are paid 35 billion US dollars. In bonuses alone, in one year alone, while holding out their hands for a government bailout. That's greed. And and we can call it that. It's okay. And those who are Christ followers and are informed by the Scriptures can look at greed and say greed is what the Bible calls sin, and sin is a result of the fall. We know that left to ourselves, human beings, we will naturally pursue self-promotion, self-interest, self-aggrandizement, self-delusion, self-justification, and self-advancement. That's who we are. It's good news, isn't it? That's, that's the deal. That's, that's our own sinful nature kicking in. And we know that left unchecked, greed will run rampant in individual lives, in society, in groups, in corporates, in our culture as a whole. And although it's not the entire uh, picture... I think what this recession is perhaps showing us is a dramatic object lesson of what can happen when greed really infects human society, when greed really gets into the fabric of society. The reality is I don't think most people, I don't think most of you go to work each day saying, well, I'm just going to be greedy today. I'm just going to be as greedy as I can and make as much money and just pursue my own stuff. You know? we, don't, we don't think like that. Most of the time what's happening, those of you who do have jobs, is you, you're trying to keep your boss happy, you're trying to hit your sales targets, you're trying to keep the project under budget, you're trying to hit your KPIs, you're just trying to do your job and keep your job and keep your superiors happy and keep your subordinates under control. That's a lot of what work is. You're not trying to be greedy, you're just trying to keep it together. You're just trying to hold down a job. And you feel, have you had that feeling like you are just a tiny little cog in a huge machine? This huge economic machine that is like a steam train roaring uncontrollably towards its destination. And you are just a little, tiny, little spoke in the wheel. You're just a little piece in the puzzle. And and, and sometimes we get the feeling that this machine isn't going the right way. The steam train's heading in the wrong direction. But you and I, in and of ourselves, we feel virtually powerless to stop it. That's the deal. It's not just as simple as saying, well, let's just be less greedy. You know, we feel like this whole thing, you know, we're just doing my job. I'm just this tiny little part of it. And what that shows, I think, is that greed and sin, they're not just individual problems. When, when enough individuals, fallen human individuals, get together, greed starts to embed itself in the very structures of society. This is why we can talk about structural sin as well as personal sin. This is why systems and and corporates and even society as a whole, sin works its way into the fabric of society. So that you and I are left saying, what can we individually do? It seems like the whole thing is somehow uh, contaminated and and corrupted. And, And to a sense, it is. And we can only ultimately take control of those things that we can control, that are within our own purview but it's a good reminder that the sin that exists out there in society as a whole and in the system as a whole as you look at it is the same greed it is the same sin that ultimately resides in the heart of every single one of us you and i listen to the words of tony campolo he says in today's world greed is not a sin which merely influences our personal relationships it's also responsible for many of the pressing international problems which seem to defy solution We must not think the abuses of capitalism are confined to the robber barons of bygone days. The greed that motivated those tyrants of business and industry who lived at the turn of the century lies in the hearts of all of us. It's a good reminder that no matter how small our part in the whole system and no matter how out of control the system seems at times, it's a reminder of the problem ultimately of human greed and that eventually we are all implicated. It shows the folly of simply chasing after selfish human ambition. And it should cause us to reflect on whether there are traces of greed, self-advancement, self-interest in our own actions, in our own behaviours, in our own motivations. So here's the antidote, point number two. The recession should challenge us to live redemptively wherever we are. Let me read you something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. In verse 19 he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Often when those verses are read, what we think Jesus is saying is he's dividing the world into two categories. You've got your treasures on earth over here, That's your job, that's your money, that's your finances, that's the material, the natural. And then over here, you've got the spiritual stuff, your relationship with God, prayer, Bible study, fellowship with Christians, that sort of thing. And we like to divide the world into those two polar extremes, treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. But I think it's a fallacy. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. I think he's saying that storing up treasures in heaven is something you can do right in the middle of your business place. Storing up treasures in heaven is about who you are at work as much as it's about who you are here on Sunday mornings. It's about how you conduct yourself in the boardroom, on the construction site, in the classroom, in the lecture hall. It's about the values, the virtues that you embody, bringing the kingdom of God, the priorities of the kingdom, the expressions of the kingdom right into your little cubicle in the office. That's what it means to store up treasures in heaven. It means to live in a way that is redemptive, to live in a way that is aligned with the purposes and the power and the will of God right where you are. Don't shove God out of your office. Don't assume that storing up treasures in heaven is something you do once you've clocked out at night, once you've finished the coaching, or you've finished the teaching, or you've finished at the hospital, and you're on your way home. Storing up treasures in heaven is about who you are all day, your vocational life, as well as your family life. After all, you think about Jesus. He was a carpenter or a tradesman for a lot more years than he was an itinerant preacher. He was a construction worker, he was a blue-collar worker. How did he embody the kingdom within that environment? How did he live redemptively within that environment? Well I would say by doing exactly that which God had skilled and gifted him to do to the best of his ability as working for the Lord not just for people. Knowing that by being an excellent tradesman, he was giving glory to God. Through living redemptively, through the way that he treated other people, not just as customers, not just as consumers, not just as commodities and resources to manage and control, but as people made in the image of God, worthy of respect and dignity, every single one of them. Not shutting off his work life so that he could treat people one way here and then treat them another way here, but by treating them as human beings in every single interaction he had. By taking the opportunities he could to talk about God, to talk about faith with people. That's what it means to live redemptively wherever we are. It means to accept the fact that you are called to be where you are just as much as I'm called to be where I am. Ministry, you know, it, it sets up this artificial barrier as if what you're doing is not ministry. That's a fallacy. God has called you to be. Whatever it is that you are, whoever it is that you are, wherever it is that you are, and His calling in your life is that you would live redemptively right there. There's a verse in the Bible that says, "...the fish of the sea and the birds of the air glorify God." Now let me ask you, how does a fish glorify God? By holding little fishy praise and worship services? Oh, by being a fish! How does a plumber glorify God? By being an excellent plumber. How does an IT engineer glorify God? By being a brilliant IT engineer. How does a teacher glorify God? By being a fantastic teacher. See, what we need is not just more ministers, pastors, Christian authors, Christian writers. What we need are Christians in every sector of society living redemptively right where they are. Christians in media, Christians in politics, Christians in business, Christians in construction, Christians in the halls of the academy. We need Christians influencing society, salt and light, right where you are. You can live redemptively, and that's how we begin to turn the whole system of greed around. All right, that's enough of that. (laughs) Number three. The recession can lead us to greater dependency on God. There are already stories that have come out Which have been so encouraging from within our church of people who have really been hit hard, people who have lost jobs, who have had to take other jobs that are far less than ideal who are really, the margins, their savings is getting right down and anecdotally some of the feedback directly and indirectly that I've heard of people saying, man this has just brought me so much closer to God this has really stirred me up this has really caused me to think about where I am and and, and what I'm really living for and that's the power these times can have That's the power that this... Not that God caused it. We don't know whether God caused or allowed the recession. We're not going to get into that, but you better believe He's going to use it. Romans 8 says, He will work everything for the good of those who love Him. He'll redeem it if you let Him. He'll teach you through it. He'll break you wide open. And He'll show you new things that that He's never revealed to you before if you would just be open enough to receive it because when people get shaken to the core, that's when the good stuff starts to really come out. Let me read you some some verses just a little further along from the ones I read before. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Do not worry. Read those verses to yourself every day. It'll do something for your soul. Do not worry. It's not naivety. It's dependency. It's putting ourselves, it's posturing ourselves a certain way towards God in a position of trust. Because in the course of our everyday life, when things are just humming, there's very little need or room for faith and dependency in our lives. We're just paying the bills. We're doing our stuff. We're keeping the family in order. And that's the deal. But sometimes when these things are stripped away, God starts to teach us what real faith looks like, what real dependency looks like. And rather than letting that push you away from Him, let that draw you near to Him, and let that open you up and ask God, what are you doing on the inside of me here? What lessons do you want me to learn through this? What are you teaching me? How are you growing me? Use these as teaching opportunities for your children to teach them that your God is not the God of money. Your God is the God who's alive and well. The god of money might be crucified at the moment, but the God, the living God of the Bible is alive and well. He's risen from the dead and he's not going anywhere. Use these as times to allow God to remind you of his sufficiency. To allow God to remind you that it's going to be okay. That he's got you in the palm of his hand and he's not letting you go. It doesn't matter how tough it gets. It doesn't matter how uncertain The future is, doesn't matter how low the savings account gets, doesn't matter how dry the investment fund gets, God's got you. He's got your back. He is the protecting God. He is the providing God. He is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Let him remind you of that. Let him remind you of his sufficiency and his sovereignty over history. God has seen so many recessions come and go. He's seen so many empires rise and fall, and he's still on the throne. He is still in his heaven and he's still got it under control. He's in control. Do you believe that? Find it hard to believe it sometimes, though, don't we? You know, our heart gets racing, we get anxious, the anxiety levels go up, the panic attacks kick in. I know how it's like. Remind yourself God is in control. He's got your back. He's not letting you go, friends. He's not letting us go. He is sovereign. And he wants to show you some more of his grace through these times and show you what it is to trust him. And really depend on him and finally the recession can lead us to acknowledge all that we do have it can make us grateful for what we do have let me ask you this how many of you here own a car at least one car per family or per individual that puts you in the top 10% of the world's wealth right there so you're already doing quite well okay How many of you could go home today, turn on the tap and you've got clean water coming out? You could drink it, drinkable at least. Yeah. One billion people in the world don't have that luxury. I was going to ask how many of you can flick a switch and get electricity, but in view of the last week's events I'm not going to go there. But (laughs) 1.6 billion people in the world no electricity. Nearly 100 million children in the world are denied basic education. 40% of the people in the world lack basic sanitation. And here's the clincher, over half the world's population lives on less than two US dollars a day. Over half. Over half of our fellow brothers and sisters in the human race around the world live on less than two dollars a day. Now I'm not meaning to demean or negate the struggles and sufferings that are real and that are here and that we face, because it is really hard. But maybe one thing this recession will do is just put our own struggling into a broader perspective. And lead us to be a little bit more grateful to God for all that we do have. Because compared to the entire population on this tiny little planet, you and I are unbelievably rich. We are unbelievably rich. And there is a huge inequality in the distribution of wealth that is concentrated at our end. So no matter how tough it gets, just remember there are people really who are experiencing genuine, literal, abject poverty today who are struggling just to put rice on the table every single day, to put a roof over their head, to get basic health care for their children and many times just don't have it. Maybe this will just lead us to turn to God with a little more humility and a little more gratitude, maybe a little bit less of a shopping list and my demands and how bad is it and woe is me and a little bit more of a God thank you start counting your blessings, start rattling them off, start thanking Him, what you do have, this, that. Just go through that list, and that will start changing your perspective on your own struggling, on your own suffering. And maybe it will lead us to stand on behalf of those who have so little a little bit more. Maybe it'll lead us to intervene a little bit more. People have said that what the issue of slavery was to William Wilberforce and his contemporaries, the issue of the inequality of wealth is to us as Christians today. And maybe this moment in history, as the West is shaken a little bit, the entire world's shaken through this recession, maybe the next William Wilberforce might just rise up and do something about that problem. Maybe that's what it takes for us to realise that inequality, for us to realise the incredible amount that we have. And if nothing else, we can pray for our brothers and sisters that have so little. Those in other countries who really, genuinely struggle. And as you do that, you'll find and feel your perspective start to shift just a little bit on your own problems, on your own struggles, on your own sufferings. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean your struggles are going to suddenly go away. But it does mean that your eyes are lifted just a little bit and put into a slightly more healthy perspective. And you can see what you have In the context of people that have so little. There's a scene in the movie we watched a bit of before Apollo 13, quite an old movie now. There's a scene toward the end of that movie where the lives of three astronauts hang in the balance. Things have gone wrong with the with the spacecraft, and now the team back at Houston are trying this incredibly risky maneuver to bring them back down to Earth, and the danger is that the heat shield is going to melt and, and and it'll be destroyed. These three men will be killed. And in the control room there at Houston, you see this dialogue between two of the NASA engineers, one of them saying, you know, I think this is going to be, this could be the worst disaster in NASA history. And then the character who plays Ed Harris stands up and stiffens his shoulders and says, on the contrary, with due respect, I believe this will be our finest hour. You can choose how you see this recession. You can see it as the worst economic catastrophe in decades in a century and we can run around like chicken licking saying the sky's falling on our head or we can stand up as Christ followers and say this will be our finest hour as the world watches and there is an object lesson of the insecurity and uncertainty and temporality of wealth played out before our eyes as people that you and I know are struggling like never before and lacking hope and desperate for hope. Seeking answers as people are being shaken to the core. They're asking new questions. They're open to new conversations. This is not a time for the church to shrink back. This is not a time for us just to bury our heads in the sand and focus only on our issues and only on our stuff. This is a time to boldly step forward and take new ground for the kingdom. This is a time to initiate conversations. This is a time to step forward with hope. This is a time to model to others a biblical work ethic of diligence and prudence and honesty and integrity this is a time for Christians to model peace a deep peace in the face of the storm and in the face of fear that we know the rock on which we stand we know the God who holds history in his hand and we know where history is headed we've got the answers and we need have no fear and this is a chance For Christ followers to step out boldly holding the love and the good news of the gospel and offer it to those who are genuinely struggling at these times. To reach out with grace, to reach out with compassion and to reach out with the good news of a God who loves them, who holds them in his hand and is looking out for even them. I believe this can be our finest hour. Amen? Amen? Shall we pray? Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.